Welcome everyone. <clears throat> it's, it's good to see your faces and some faces I haven't seen in a while. Um, you're shaking your head, Richard. <laughs> a few other folks. Uh, it's wonderful to see you all. We'll begin our um, our brief sitting, and I will say uh, before we begin that uh, when we uh, complete our sitting with the bell, uh, we classically would uh, repeat the verse of the robe together uh, three times. Um, and as I've done a few times, I'd like to switch. And this time we will um, repeat the four practice principles, which we normally do at the end. We'll do after sitting. Well, we're just going to reverse them today, just so you know. So let's enjoy our, uh, our sitting.
Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. It's good to be with you as always. <clears throat> it's such a, an odd time right now uh, with so much um, uh, loss and grief on one side and so much potential and possibility and freshness on the other as things continue to change and there's there's no real steady sense of how it's all going to go. And then within each of our lives, uh, there are the unpredictable uh, aspects of health and illness and new grandchildren and people passing away and people coming and going. It's just, it's quite a, a rich and sometimes challenging texture. And we're, I think, brought a little closer to what are sometimes thought of as the, uh, the four marks of existence in, in Buddhism. Uh, the first being impermanence, that everything changes, that we can see and feel. Um, uh, <clears throat> Um, mutual causality or interdependence and no existing self, um, another. It's everything changes and everything depends on everything else. Um, the sense of no independently existing self um, through this and, and dukkha, or um, the edge of suffering at least, we begin to, to understand. But today I thought I might reflect a bit and and invite you to reflect on what and how does all this work in each of us, not philosophically, but personally. Because when we chant, uh, caught in the self-centered dream, and then holding to self-centered thoughts, this caught by holding really points to our everyday uh, clinging, which is the key. That's what I'll, I'd like to focus on a little bit, and I'd like for you to focus on and reflect on this everyday uh, clinging. You know, when we chant the third line each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, it sounds like such a nice teaching and a helpful truth, and it is. That each moment, life just as it is, through practice is seen as a, a potential teacher, a moment of awakening. And the, the Buddha did teach that life itself, this um, and a relentless teacher, has a certain character, and he called that character dukkha, uh, dissatisfaction, things not, not being exa exactly like we want them to be. Um, which involves suffering. He didn't say life is only suffering, but that there's a quality of dissatisfaction and displeasure and unease that is a characteristic of life. And he didn't say, and, and then that will change. 
That is a characteristic of living beings. And he didn't teach that a life badly lived or one full of delusion or one lived without a practice or some belief in, in a God or, or something else. You can make your list. He didn't say that <clears throat> these uh, sort of failures uh, result in this uh, reality of dukkha. It's the nature of the way humans meet and experience the flow of life. And he taught that our craving for things to be other than they are, our unwillingness to meet life on its own terms, and the habit of turning away from facing these inescapable truths, and instead choosing a distorted, which we, when we chant, we call it self-centered, which a narrow view, choosing this and then clinging to it. These are the roots of suffering, not the way that life is. Life is the way that it is, and it brings everything. But our demand, and it's really a demand that life be different, or the fearful perception that it's, it's just not workable, or in the end, the refusal to face life as it is, these are the real causes of suffering in response to dukkha, which is the quality of experience. So sitting is precisely practicing being just this moment. When we sit in zazen, we rest in and turn toward and express, and we're engaged in an embodied intimacy with being just this moment, which will include whatever we meet in that moment. Our sitting, uh, that's why in zazen we don't really call it meditation. In, in sitting, we meet the moment instead of trying to manipulate or fix or improve the moment. Sitting is precisely the practice of being just this moment. And we call it compassion's way, being just this moment, compassion's way. And that sounds really good, doesn't it? Like, oh, compassion's way. Compassion is a great thing. This is what we want. Be kind, be generous, caring. Until we sit and realize what we feel, what we think, how we experience being with and being the moment. And experience the reality of the way life actually is and meeting it as it actually is. Not turning away or taking some false refuge in our self-centered perspectives. And not taking uh, as a hiding place our spiritual practices, which make us, we think, calm and full of compassion. So these teachings are um, a little more fierce than they are consoling, but they are completely releasing if we understand them, and that's why it's worth reflecting on them now. I've, you've heard me say this before, many of you, that it, it seems like a good bit of what I end up doing is helping people get a sense of what practice is not. Because we come with so many ideas, uh, not, not just um, concepts about practice or about Buddhism or about Zen. <clears throat> Th those are all just ideas and overlays for the deep longings that we carry inside anyway.
you know, practice is not about being a good meditator. There are many forms of meditation, and many of which are quite wholesome and wonderful and beneficial to help with concentration, with deep relaxation, uh, with the production of insight. Meditation is a useful, useful tool. But deep practice takes us beyond those constructed qualities that meditation allows, because what is constructed can fall apart. And our deepest practices about the yearning, if you will, for that which can't be lost. This is not a conditioned phenomena that we make by doing something which then can be unmade when we stop doing it. Otherwise, our practice is something that we're holding on to by great effort for fear that we will lose. So learning to be a good meditator is not exactly the essence of, of deep practice. We're not learning to be quiet and peaceful. People say, oh, I'd love to meditate so I can just be, you know, uh, blissed out or zoned out. Or They talk about something being very Zen as if that means it's quiet. Uh, never being triggered or emotional. Uh, you learn how to be kind of a Teflon person, which of course, I'm being a little silly, but it's very common. If you practice, there are moments in which there's a peace that you might experience. A, a quiet, a release from triggering, all those things might happen. But it's not trying to be that way because that's a better way to be. There is a fruit of practice that looks something like that, that's very easily confused. For example, um, a lot of people say, oh, I'll practice so I can stop my thoughts because emptying your mind is what, what we should be up to, right? And of course, when anyone comes and says what we should be doing, then we know that that's not actual practice. If your thoughts don't stop, if you fight them, you'll be fighting for the rest of your life. And your mind won't be empty. There are moments in which there may be a vast, spacious emptiness that arises within your being as you sit or do other practices, which you begin to realize is always with you. It's not something you've constructed. You haven't stopped your thoughts and emptied your mind. You've practiced such that this vast, spacious fullness, if you want to call it that, is always with you and it's where you rest. Practice isn't about cultivating a bliss. There are moments where you feel maybe blissful. That's great. But once again, it's a state which comes and goes. And if you cling to it, then you might as well be clinging to winning the lottery because it's just an ephemeral thing that doesn't stay with you. And practice isn't about refining or perfecting yourself certainly not your personality. It won't help you manifest every one of your goals. And it's not about some sort of moral purification. Some of those things might happen. But once again, they're constructions. What is it that can't be lost? And how do we get caught? And finally, practice isn't about fixing the things that are wrong with you, or even healing trauma. Some of those therapeutic things might happen, but it's not the goal of practice, and it's not the function of practice. It's not the work of practice, if you want to say it that way. So this is quite a list of what it's not, and there, there are more. And we know that as we, we chant this, the four practice principles, we get a sense that maybe this is a little more fierce than than we might have thought or hoped. <laughs> so we'll go back to the, the core practice beginning, which I often include, which is how simple are you willing to let this be? 
And I think some months ago, I reviewed the uh, poem of the third ancestor, uh, excuse me, um, an earlier uh, teacher anyway in China, Sin Khan, when he wrote the Shen Shen Ming, the, um, a poem that starts, the great way is indifficult for those who are unattached to their preferences. And it goes on further. Um, it's something that you might want to sit with. I've said that if I only teach from one thing for the rest of my life, I would probably choose the Shin Shin Ming. How simple. The great way isn't difficult for those who are unattached to their preferences. A few more sentences, I won't go further. It says, let go of longing and aversion, and everything will be perfectly clear. When you cling, when you cling to a hair's breadth of distinction, heaven and earth are set apart. So there's something about clinging. What if we bring it down just to clinging? How are we caught in the self-centered dream? How do we hold the self-centered thoughts? Where's the clinging? Each moment, life as it is, is demonstrating how this is the case. Being just this moment, sitting, facing ourselves and our lives, is the way of compassion to stay with the churning, vibrant, beautiful, terrible, everything world and not turn away. That's compassion. The great way, the great way of, of freedom within it all, not freedom from it all. The great way isn't difficult for those who are unattached to their preferences. Some of the translations say are without preferences. I, I don't know what the original Chinese words were that are translated in these ways but certainly not attached to, outside of, not clinging to, something about, because the rest of the poem talks about letting go. And what clinging looks like, how one doesn't want to be caught in appearances, but also don't lose yourself in emptiness. It keeps pulling the rug out from all the dualities that our mind goes to. So here is maybe a list for us to reflect on. If you're suffering, if anybody that's listening right now suffers in any way whatsoever, that's like a light that points, just start looking for the clinging. Where am I clinging? If I have some suffering, where am I clinging? If you're uncomfortable or dissatisfied in your life in some way, then notice the craving for comfort, for satisfaction. Nothing wrong with being comfortable or satisfied, but if you're caught in a discomfort and dissatisfaction. Notice the craving. If you're angry, sad, full of fear, or happy, be aware of the possible fixations. I say possible fixations. The feelings are fine. It's great to be happy. And fear, anger, and sadness are all useful emotions if we don't cling to them, if we're not caught by them, if we're not fixated on them, if we don't generate whole narratives and stories and identities out of them. They move through us like any weather moves through the sky. And 
And if I'm uncomfortable or dissatisfied in moments in my life, which I am, as are you, I'm sure, then I have to look at the craving for what is it that I wished? Not to judge it or to push it away, but to notice it, to be awake to it. If I'm suffering, where am I clinging? If you're confused, let yourself feel the unwillingness. The unwillingness to know, to be clear, or to shift a position maybe so that something else could come into view. If you think you're really, really clear, then be curious about the edge of certainty. And do you hear how the rug is pulled out in every direction? If you're full of hope for a certain outcome, then prepare for more suffering. And yes, even this will change. And on the other side, if you fall into despair, then identify the clinging you no longer have any faith in, the faith to save you. You can see that it's, when I said a relentless teacher, this is life as it is, the only teacher. If the opposite of clinging is rejecting, this is what we call longing or aversion, um, this is uh, greed or hatred in the classical sense. These two opposites are not a resolution. It's like, oh, I'm not supposed to cling, so I'll let go. Uh, I won't cling, which is usually where the dualistic mind goes. And we think, oh, that's practice. But that's usually just dissociation or turning your back on things. You know, we want to explain and predict and control life. That formulation that Joanna Macy uses, we want to explain it, predict it, control it, rather than appreciate our lives. And this is exactly how the Dharma is often taught and how we engage in practice. It's how I have taught many times and how I've engaged in practice. I want to be able to explain things, predict them, and control them. And I'm a pretty good explainer. And so I can get caught in that. And I'm becoming weary of it. Not in teaching. I love it. But to try to explain everything because every person that I meet is so invested in trying to predict and control that which is impermanent and interdependent instead of appreciating our lives. These are manager practices, trying to manage. Even as we subtly try to exile the parts of ourselves that don't fit the model of what it looks like to be a good Zen student or what it looks like to be free or liberated. And we create a whole new world of suffering through our practice. So, then the inevitable next question, and I won't go further here. How do I not do either? Because once again, we want to explain and predict and control our practice so we can give us the result that we want and then we can cling to it and then feel badly when it doesn't happen. How do I not do either? The way is, I'll, I'll give you the answer. A lifetime of practice. Faith in something larger than you can conceive of and devotion to it. And beyond that, it's grace. Certainly, you can use curiosity as an entry point rather than certainty. If you don't know what to do, be curious about everything. 
And in moments in where you can actually experience gratitude, let that be another entry point. So over a lifetime of practice, you can be grateful for it all. And in those moments where the self-centered dream softens and you feel a bit of humility, notice that that will eventually open to where you feel humbled in the face of it all. And being fully in your life, not away from it, not stepping back, then naturally a sense of generosity will arise, which is a natural response to it all. To care for each other, to offer ourselves to each other, rather than trying to get it right for myself, to stop what can't be stopped, Dukkha. So how do I do neither? How do I resolve this clinging? Is a lifetime of practice. Of our faith and devotion to it. So that there's a potential for these aspects of grace to unfold on their own. You're coming back to curiosity over and over and over kind of a gratitude that isn't for a specific outcome, but for having a life. Humility in the face of the inconceivable and the unknown. And a generosity to offer ourselves back to this immense gift that we've been given. So remember some of those questions. If you're suffering, look for the clinging. If you're uncomfortable or dissatisfied, notice craving. No matter what emotion you're feeling, be aware of fixations creeping in. If you're confused, be willing to shift a position. If you think you're clear, take a look at the edge of certainty. When you find yourself full of hope, notice the new suffering right around the corner. And if you're lost in despair, Begin to notice what faith that you had that you feel you've lost. And in all of those cases, connect. Let your friends help you. Let the teachers and the teachings help you. Take refuge in something uh, reliable like uh, Buddha, your own true nature in the nature of ones you can trust, and the Dharma, and actually life as it is, and in the Sangha, our friendships and connections. All of this just about clinging. So if there are some areas or edges that you're inquiring about in your own life, then we can meet them if we have questions about this, because I know it's a challenging, a challenging edge of teaching. Please uh, raise your hand and bring them forward. Hi, Laurie. Hey, how are you today? You really want to know, or just a pleasantry? <laughs> no, I really want to know. Um, right now, I feel um, a bit of energy because that's what as you know it takes to sit in this seat and and offer something and i can feel an edge of um, questioning myself am i too harsh was i clear is this an actual invitation um i can feel the edges where i'll cling to doing a good job or being seen a certain way. All that stuff is in the background. And I'm here with you. It's nice to be here with you. So what I wanted to bring forward is... Uh, is Ollie. <laughs> Ollie, my beloved. No, I... Um, 
<clears throat> it's this thing that I, I, one of the many things that I grapple with is, um, well, it's fear, you know, and, and fear specifically, um, you know, I'm preparing, preparing things to, to say to people in, in a group and, um, you know, because it's been a long-term thing and partially, I mean, it's lack of experience of doing it a whole lot, but, but also it, it's, I think it's a bit more than that because I drive myself so crazy um, in my preparations. They're so extreme. And um, so that's, the, that's the clinging, isn't it? Yeah, Exciting, predicting, controlling. Yeah, it's it's isn't it interesting that as teachers we put ourselves through that as an invitation to speak, <laughs> to not to to be <laughs> in the embodied immediacy in the present, and we don't expect them to come back with the Dharma talk. We expect them to meet us with the immediacy of what's moving in them right now, just like you asked me. Yeah. It's, yes, there's a request to hold the space in a certain way, sure. But I'm, I think over time, I've become more and more willing uh, to just be uh, generous and kind to myself. But some of that comes with experience, sure. And a lot of it is a deep faith that it's going to, it's going to go okay, meaning it's going to go how it's going to go because I'm dedicated to that. Not because I'm smart enough or experienced enough or awake enough or I, I don't, I don't get to determine those things. Mm -hmm. I get uh, my main practice. And I think what you're also, how can I show up as authentically and honestly as I can and really meet who's in front of me mm -hmm. and I'm going to do it in the Flint way and you're going to do it in the Lori way. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I've had, I think I've really pr practiced with this more in the last year than ever is I've stopped. Um, no, I won't say stopped. I've softened the demand that I have for myself to make sure that I uh, am pleasing. That's a big one. To, to others, you know, and I've had to look at my clinging around comparing mind. What is this person going to think? What is that person going to think? Mm -hmm. And because I'm more and more public like this, and because I'm around other Dharma teachers who I really respect, I mean, people that I would be able to talk to as a, f a friend, you know, Norman Fisher, any of these people around that we all know. And they, oh my God, what would they think? I have to completely let that go. This is what I do. This is how I teach. Not as a, not caring or being um, reckless, yeah. being, but actually more wholehearted. Yeah. Is this resonating with the place you're, where you get caught? Yeah, I, I, I think that's it. Um, certainly a pleasing is a part of my, you know, it's part of the clinging. Yeah, definitely. Um, although I'm learning, I don't think it's possible to please everybody at the same time. So I think that'll take, take it, you know, take it away to a certain extent, but, um, but yeah, there's the, the issue, I think, a little bit is the lack of faith, you know, um, in, in, what? in, in my capacity to do it, you know, to, to do it adequately. That's, you know, that's, that. well, that's another clingy. You have an idea of what adequate means. <laughs> that's well, right. I do. You, you can only, all of, you can only do it like you do it. Yeah. And to the extent that you can do it, it doesn't matter what you think or how much you torture yourself or how, you know, you're going to end up being Lori. And if you do that wholeheartedly, that will touch people's hearts. Yeah. But if you bind yourself up, of course you have to put some effort 
because you have to, you're in front of people, sure. But find a way to bring your your capacity forward, mm-hmm. not try to be some other capacity. Yeah, that's. I think that's the that's the deal. That is the deal. Mm-hmm. And I've seen how in moments when you drop what comes through you is so beautiful and a bit startling because all your ordinary overlay, and I'm not saying this about you, I'm saying all the, all our normal neurotic overlay, which just means the control part falls away. Then, and that piece of the, um, the old koan that Blanche wrote in my Rakasu when I had teacher entrustment, where the, the the practice buddy says, you know, the the real gift doesn't uh, doesn't come the family treasure doesn't come through the gate. Oh right. You know, from now on, if you want to help people, let it flow, let it pour out from your heart, covering heaven and earth. Like I just keep deepening my uh, intimacy with with her through that. Yeah. Okay. That makes that makes sense. Thank you so much for. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We have Lynn. Mm-hmm. Lynn. Someone for whom these issues are right up front, having accepted the role of good student. Yeah. Mm. There's. Um, I was noticing when I came this evening, I didn't want to be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, because um, I feel really tired and. Um, not quite functioning fully, if that's the right word. And um, uh, and recognizing uh, that I've got that edge of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So I was noticing that clinging to the idea mm-hmm. that I that I couldn't sit here with that vulnerability. Um, and then, and this will make me cry, <laughs> um, I remembered when my dad was dying, when he died of bone cancer. And uh, in the last years, year of his life, really, my mum and I did a lot of personal care for him. And um, he could barely, well, he could barely stand. And I remember him standing and we were having to wash him. His mother and his daughter, you know, his wife and his daughter washing him. (laughs) And all he did was he, he just put his hand on my hand and then his hand on my mum's hand because he couldn't say very much. And for me, that was the gift of letting yourself be completely vulnerable mm-hmm. with people who loved you and still having the gratitude mm-hmm. and the thanks. And so <laughs> that completely took away any sense that I couldn't be vulnerable. You know, it felt like, what a nonsense. The, the, uh, that you're describing so intimately uh, it's as good a description a living description of that last phrase in the four practice principles that I've ever heard being just this moment compassion's way 
nothing was fixed. Nothing changed. But he met you and you met him. You were offering yourself. He was receiving that being just this moment. Compassion's way. And you experience yourself now with that recollection as actually more available to this moment. So that's the, you know, we're enacting that being just this not denying your own struggles, but not clinging to it should be otherwise, but resting in it. And that's another piece that's really, I think, tough for people is to rest in and find what's there rather than try to fix. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Um, I wanted to explore uh, my current state of meeting the moment because what I've noticed, I, I go back to uh, those wonderful luncheons at Seton Cove where you introduced the big mind and the watcher. And uh, what I have noticed is that I uh, expect or anticipate my initial reaction is going to be my human reaction. Like, I don't like this or I want something else. Yeah. yeah. And then it, then the watcher says, that's fine, take your time. Don't worry about it now. And sometimes it will be a matter of minutes and sometimes a matter of hours or maybe days before I come around to this notion of life as it is and this is the path forward. And so the compassion that I have is really to my own human condition, which um, yes opens quite a bit for me yes yes and that that's what i am pointing to when i say rather than the explain predict control thing to appreciate uh, to appreciate your life it's like oh oh yeah this is the quality of my life right now right and 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 first i'm not going to like it <laughs> yeah probably not Maybe. or Maybe. Or you might really like it yes. and cling to it. Yes. And knowing that your grip will be <laughs> torn away over time. Yeah. And so it's been a surprise to me um, to have this, what I call kind of an intermediate step at the yeah. interface between the moment and, and what's going on with me that is, uh, creates a kind of like a nice entryway. Um, right. Into... Yeah, in classical uh, training, meditation training, where we're actually training, we, you know, we're developing the witness, right? Okay. Which is, and I'm doing this with my hands. So you also know that in uh, from a psychological side and in internal family systems, we talk about unblending. So we're not getting rid of anything, no. but there is a aspect of awareness and attention that we step back. Where everything's included. Yeah. not pushing anything away right. so that we can turn toward and that's when you begin to appreciate you you give yourself some space and then you begin to but that which turns toward isn't some other constructed part of your personality it's primary awareness and uh, what i like the most is the gentleness which i can show to my um, human self, my. And that's revolutionary for you, Susan. Yep. The gentleness. The gentleness, yes. That's what you've worked with for, for a long, long time. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, hi, Clint. Hello. You're back in the closet. Yeah, I'm back in the closet, yes. Okay. <laughs> Life as it is in this moment. So in the last few days, um, I was um, just understanding some things about myself. And um, it was all about clinging and control (laughs) yeah it was all about clinging and controlling i mean i didn't see it this way until this last few days but when i did a tsunami of feeling came up and it was very painful and i even thought wow should i be really doing this thing this zen thing that's a good question yeah you know really and i but you know that was kind of fleeting but it was there and um um yeah, I um what well what I'm finding with sitting it's kind of it's not psychotherapeutic but of course there are these you know feelings and and thoughts it's kind of like psychotherapy without talking so for me anyway so so what's left is just the experience and yes. it's very very intense and um that's why people don't have much of a stomach for it. Exactly, exactly. And I really understand that. <laughs> um, and, and it's also what a long retreat is about. We sit in retreat hour after hour, day after day. Every preference you have comes up. Every bit of clinging, all your negotiating, trying to, until you finally can't anymore. And in some ways, like Lynn was talking about being so tired, you literally, and then something else opens. It's not masochistic to do this. It's not, that's not the thing, but you're, you meet yourself and meet yourself and meet yourself. Yeah. And it, it just felt like a big release and, um, release is a turn. Yeah. So, um, and I, I was just reading, um, the beginning of one of the precept, um, chapters in in Rosetto's book and it was it was a Henry Miller quote about flow and I thought I I have none everything is you know uh, everything is program and so then I cried a little more but you know it was very um apt for me to read that and you're crying um, you're when you're crying you're flowing oh that's a good point thank you yeah that's true and, and I think that that's my experience is that the more I practice over time and the older I get, certainly the more I leak. And not because I'm distressed, not because I'm sad. Yeah. It's almost, almost unspeakable. It's just this yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. It's you're experiencing something very, very deep and important and, 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 that, uh, and necessary. And that, and that release that you talked about, after all the i've it's a little i know it's a little funny i'm saying it to be humorous in some ways but not really when i when i say you've heard me say that the function of practice is to eventually help you arrive at a place where you say okay 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 i give up i'll live my life but that sounds different now doesn't it yeah like oh 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 so yes very much so i'm very appreciative thank you Absolutely. <clears throat> You're raising important things. And Carolyn? There, okay, there you go. There you are. Got this it. Very quick, I know, but it's it's more of a clarification. Mm-hmm. Um, and one is, so you, you mentioned for suffering, look for the clinging and the preferences you have. With the dissatisfaction, what was your clarification to that? What should you look for? Let's see. Whatever. Dissatisfied. I just noticed the craving. The There's another way of saying the same thing. And so, of course, because I have a physical illness. Yeah. So that's where the, the practice edge again comes up, where it's, of course, you know the clinging when you're physically feeling sick. Yeah, of course. Or like sitting, like I, you know, people who sit in backache, arthritic, they can't ever get rid of it. So it's, of course, your preference is to not have that pain. 
Of course. That's where, like, when I said, am I being too tough? Yeah, that's when Zen sometimes I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? Because if you're sitting in your physical pain. That's right. Of course and you're coming to not having that. Remember the line says, the, the great way is not difficult for those who are unattached to their preferences. You'll have preferences. Of course, of course. And I have a preference. My preference is that you're well. My preference is you don't have pain. But if I'm attached to that and I can only function and be okay if you're well or have no pain, then I'm going to continue to suffer because I don't get to control that. So I need to be more intimate with my preference, not try to get rid of it. Ooh. And the longing and the aversion and the anger I have and the frustration, I need to be more, I need to get closer. And to see how, what, what, because there's each of those positions is full of life force. And I need all of that I can get, and so do you. But if I'm caught in these ways of constructing narratives that are against what's happening, I'm, I'm squandering the life force in there. Hmm. That's very helpful. Of course, I don't want you to be sick. And of course, I don't want you to have pain. If I have pain, I don't like it. I'm going to do all those preferences. But if I'm not attached to the preference, instead, get closer to whatever I'm feeling. It's not about getting rid of the feelings. It's penetrating deeper. Hmm. Okay. That's really helpful. So that I'm, I find the life force that's there. It's just taking a certain shape. And then it can turn into something is quite solid. It's not reality. That's an essential question you're asking and the perfect one for us to end on because that's very, very, very hopeful. Mm -hmm. Thank you so and, much. And now, and now I have a bit of clinging, which is for that blue hat. It's a great hat. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send you one now that you said that. Oh, no, don't do that. That's, but do you remember, uh, I don't, did I, did I send you that little America's Got Talent thing, that woman singing? Oh, no, and you told me about it, though. Yeah, I, anyway, she says, when people are asking her about, oh, isn't it terrible you have cancer, you know, and she, and she says, you, you can't wait for uh, life to be uh, good, to be happy. So true. And the whole audience erupts, you know, so. Yeah. So instead, let's chant the, the uh, verse of the robe. And now in the face of the things we've just spoken about, listen to how it goes. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you so much, Flint. Appamada's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support makes a huge difference. There is a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. And this link will take you to, will give you an opportunity to offer dance to teachers such as Flint and Peg, as well as other teachers. And also an opportunity to contribute towards other events such as classes, practice discussions. Thank you so much.